Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Itiel, co-founder and CTO at Commodore, and they discuss how Commodore tracks changes across the entire Kubernetes stack, how to surround yourself with people more talented than you, and how to facilitate open and transparent communication in your teams. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. What was the problem that you saw where you thought, I need to make Commodore? Yeah, so like if you know like Rookout, they help to troubleshoot or like uh, debug a very macro level like problem. You have a problem with your application, you want to deep dive in the exact same moment and to better understand like what is happening inside my code. And in order to use like Commodore, or in order to use Rookout, you needed to know what version is currently deployed to my production. Simply like the SHA or like the tag or something. And I went and I, back then I did like a lot of solution engineer as well as like being the first developer and product and everything. So, you know, I see so many companies just struggling to understand what is happening inside the production environment? What are all those issues? What are the problems? How do I fix? Like they were lacking the high level visibility on what is happening. So Commodore like obviously tries to solve these things that I felt both personally and with the customer customers I met, which is what is happening in my classrooms in terms of what services are currently running, what services are unhealthy. When did they change in this recent change? What happened? What commits were added? What pull requests were added? What feature flag was just turned on or off? Like a lot of the questions people ask themselves when they troubleshoot, but like till Commodore, they simply couldn't get like an easy answer. You can go to Jenkins and GitHub and Datadog and like try to correlate everything in your head. But with Commodore, you have like a simple timeline that tells you the story of both the entire cluster and a specific service. And this timeline includes all of the interesting information you can think of. That's uh, so cool. like what, this was like the root of Commodore. Uh, since then, we added a lot of making our own Kubernetes experience into the product. And we help users identify issues before they escalate. We know to track like certain kinds of resources such as like PVC, load balancer, ingress. We know when those kinds of like resources are having issues and we automate like the, the best practices checks or like the best practices of how do I troubleshoot the Kubernetes issue into our product. So we know how to help them to find the root cause given a specific issue or a problem. So we have both like the visibility part of like Commodore and the history part telling you like what happened inside the cluster and the correlation with other resources such as GitHub, PagerDuty, Desktop, and so on. And we also have the new capability of like automating the troubleshooting flow for you, where we built a very comprehensive uh, list of like workflows on what's the best way to troubleshoot an issue. And we ran all of those checks for our users. Like, so for example, you have a problem with one of your services, one of the pods are unhealthy. Commodore checks to see if the node is okay. And if the node is currently not healthy, so don't be surprised that the service is not healthy. 
it probably impacted more services and go and figure out what happened in the node. Or if you are currently having like a PVC problem and you got an API issue with AWS, go check AWS. We'll give you the logs from AWS. You don't need to jump and like over hoops to understand the root cause of your issues. So Commodore tries to like give a comprehensive troubleshooting experience for our users. That's pretty cool. Now I'm curious when we were in the prep meeting for this, my um, audio engineers were asking me what Kubernetes is and to explain Kubernetes. And I said, uh, let's let ETL give the simple explanation. So to someone who's you know proficient on a computer, uh, good with like editing audio, knows a lot, uh, how would you explain to them what Kubernetes is? Yeah, so I think like if you never like ran application or have like zero like uh, experience, I think like the best way to think about it is maybe a little bit like Google Home, maybe something like that. Like you have a lot of tabs, but every time you like want to open a new tab or something like that, you just tell Chrome like, do you mind opening me a new tab? And behind the scenes, or when you ask a, like a specific internet connection, behind the scenes, Chrome is doing a lot of things. He's doing like TCP requests, he's downloading the data, I know how to show it to you. But like as a user, I know that I have this thing called Google Home. I know that it can open a lot of different like uh, tabs for me, and I don't need to think about anything but browser and you know have fun. So Kubernetes took like the the way of taking all of the ugly part out of like developing application, and it's like a very nice tool that you can throw request it and tell him, do you mind adding me? another application? Do you mind like opening me another tab? And behind the scenes, he tries his best to accommodate that particular like issue request. Sometimes, sadly, he failed. And like Chrome doesn't really fail most of the time, but Kubernetes is much more complex uh, than Google Chrome. Uh, so it is much more trickier, And but he tries its best. So I think like you can think about it, it's like a very high level thing that you can ask things for and it tries best to accommodate it, but sometimes like sadly it fails. All right. I want to go deeper. The best. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now imagine that you've got a junior developer who, you know, on the weekends deploys their own apps to Heroku and things of that nature. Uh, how do you explain Kubernetes to them? Ah, so if I have like a junior, so I think about like the best way is, you know, you're a junior developer. What do you know? Like what is an application, like local application, like Express, Flask, something like that. So you just build your application. You're happy because, you know, everything, everything is good and why not? But now you want it me to use it or someone outside of like your own local computer to use it. And uh, so you use Docker. So you need to understand Docker. Docker basically allows you to take your very nice application and to wrap it in a very nice uh, unified format. It is easy. It is nice. It's taking your application into a very small box and basically wrap it so other so it will be easier to deliver to, to your customers. Once you have Docker and you understand like the Docker concept, you can think about Kubernetes as a, as a cargo ship where you just put those very nice Docker container, basically, and you put it on the ship. So Kubernetes allows you to get to, to bring like your application once wrapped 
and Kubernetes promised to do his best to run this application for you. He allows you to run those very nice Docker images without you needing to think about a lot of things such as network, load balancer to an extent, replicas, and so on. Um, so I think, yeah, I think like this is... Uh, this is a nice, I hope, like example. Yeah. So help me understand. Um, so my background is uh, mostly software as a service developer. Uh, Seventeen years, most recently, past seven, eight years, uh, Ruby on Rails type person. Mm. Um, so, and I've I had like right as Kubernetes started to get popular is like when the podcast is getting popular, and so I wasn't like actively you know, mm-hmm. nerding out 24 seven. So I kind of missed the the train to be able to really deeply understand it. Do you use Kubernetes for like um, SaaS based applications? Like I have an application deployed currently to Heroku right now. It gets a small amount of traffic, um, but you know, it's because people are paying for it. But uh, how, why would I use Kubernetes? Is it only for like local applications, like legacy things where I'm like, have a, you know, an internal, uh, desktop application and I need to deploy it to other people or, or can software as a service companies use it? Yeah. So Kubernetes, like, you know, for you go keep using a like you really don't want to like make things more complicated basically. So don't try to do it. Like, and like my best suggestion for you is stay with what you have. Kubernetes is designed for like more complex situation where you have multiple apps and multiple replicas and you care about how fast is your deploy cycle looks like, about building the different communication between uh, the application. So like my suggestion for like someone who is hosting his own blog, cool down, you don't need Kubernetes. Also for like a very small startup that is not very like techy. Kubernetes helped to solve a lot of problems that most small companies don't really have. So it's like the wrong answer for a lot of people. And a lot of people still choose like to use to use it even when it's the wrong answer. Uh, but it allows you to scale your system very fast. It allows you to get a lot of things out of the box because Kubernetes has a really big community. So I would say it's like an expert tool or like a uh, like a medium plus size company tool that allow allow the company like to stay in control while they are deploying the replication okay so it's for problems that arise at a, like a mid-size level company yeah yeah i think that helps clear a lot of stuff up because you know i hear so many people that are like yeah you know you got to move to kubernetes like day one <laughs> You know, like, I, I think, like, a lot of people, like, I don't know, like, um, I don't know, they, like, the, I won't say, like, they love Kubernetes. So, like, e- Kubernetes is, is a great technology, but, like, every, you know, like, cool technology, it, it it's becoming, like, uh, abused a little bit. Uh, so, it's like the new kid on the block. If you're not on Kubernetes, then, like, you're old and pathetic, or I don't know. So <laughs> it's like the default, right? Uh, it's a little bit like, like I don't want to, to say like Go is complicated, but like to choose a technology, it's like starting to develop your like web application in Rust or something like that. Maybe it's the right way to go, but probably like use JavaScript and Express and do it as fast as possible if you want like to get to a very like fast outcome. But Kubernetes now is like so popular 
that it's not really, really the case. Thank you for helping me sort of wrap my mind around it. Um, the name Commodore, I, I Googled it to like look up what it, what it is. It's a dog with like dreadlocks. Wow, it's like yeah. Commodore is the dog. It's like a, okay. it's like a common misconception. A Commodore is more like a, the admiral in the like Navy. Uh, so it's like oh. a commander. It's like the computer also. So we, like we benefit both from the and like Kubernetes is very like C C based like uh, names. So we have the name and I love the dog and the case like for Kubernetes. So everything just like everything just uh, oh, like all the stars basically like are, are, are aligned. Did you do technology related stuff in your service or were you interested I wasn't in it before? Um, really, really like I was really far from like all of these things, like sadly for me. Uh, but I was quite, quite like, it, it was really not my area. Uh, but, you know, I studied computer science and, and psychology. I really get into like computers. I started working for eBay, which was great. And I did a lot of infra there. Then I joined in a small Israeli startup named Forter. They were really high, like they, they were really good people and very, very, very strong team. So I learned a lot. Then I became the first developer in Rookout, which turned out to be like a very nice opening to the dev tools space. And then, um, and then you know, like I uh, started uh, Commodore with my friend, Ben O'Firi. Uh, we, we met in the university. He was in Google all of this time while I was jumping between companies. He was like doing in fine Google. So you also know like, you know, Borg, not necessarily like Kubernetes, but you know it, it is close enough uh so yeah it, it was quite fun that's pretty cool so you primarily focus on kubernetes related troubleshooting yep nice nice what's uh what's like something that you're working on right now that you're super excited about the workflows it's like the most ambitious ambition thing that i think we've done in commodore basically to take troubleshooting and to automate it. So it is a lot harder than you might expect, or maybe you do already expect that it will be quite hard. So it, it's not that surprising, uh, but it is, it, it, it is quite challenging, both doing the research, understanding different failure scenarios, and then taking all of those different failure scenarios and codifying it you got out of memory because the application changed, because the node changed, because the node has pressure. So many different reasons. Like it's a podcast, right? But I can share with you. Yeah, we uh, can share. That's crazy. Yeah. So this is like a very small part of the research we are doing. So what you can see here is like a crazy graph, which has, I think, like hundred of different nodes. And we are taking like each node start with uh, the graph start with like a failure scenario. The PVC is not working. My ingress is empty. My load balancer is not, I don't know, like loading traffic. And we built a lot of different steps. Now we should describe the pod, describe the PVC, describe the SSL certificate. I don't know. And now what we're doing is doing the research and then automating it via code. We are using like temporal IO if you know them, I'm not sure if they, they also interviewed in your podcast, but they are quite a cool company. And no, what do they do? Temporal IO? Yeah, they are like a workflow engine. Oh, cool. 
Yeah. They were in so you can, like So you, you like sketch out these rules and then you can use temporal to help with them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. Exactly. So like this is the the most like the craziest thing I think I, I I've done. And I'm it is super like interesting, challenging, fun. Like you can name temporal it. and can temporal ingest the output of that draw.io or whatever. No, you're using. no, no. Like no. we wrote a lot of wrappers and like this is like the the normal research and we have like the codifying it into like something concrete. So, uh, so let's say an issue happens that your workflow recognizes like this pattern. Can it like self heal? Like can it automatic, like, can it, does it give me an option uh, to like yeah, run? Like, so, so yes and no, it will self heal like in the future, but for now we are more focused around automating the, finding the root cause. Because a lot of the time, the automation of the remediation part is super tricky. Should I fix my application? Should I roll back? Should I increase the memory? Like, it is tricky. And what we're currently trying to do best is to detect issues before they arise, mainly around parts that are not that well monitored, such as load balancer, ingress, PVC, spot instances, and so on. And also to help you investigate and understand the root cause behind all of those issues. On a later stage, we will probably add some like remediation. Maybe it will be something you can run like a script. Maybe it will be automated. We need to better understand it with you know with our customers, basically. Yeah, it's like you know talking about mind control from Neuralink. Like step one is like get the implant into people and start getting data. No, it's exciting yeah. though because you can instantly. It's very clear. Like even me just learning about the product right now. To see that this workflow is like the foundation that that could ultimately end up in either presenting me with a button that says, you know, we think mm-hmm. it's this problem, run this cure, or um, it just doing it automatically. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is like very, very like interesting and and challenging. Have you told your customers when workflows are going to come out? Yeah, yeah. We told our customers like I won't say like some of them just like keep on asking us like on a weekly basis and in two weeks it's going to be launched so that's it and we're starting small and then growing it much bigger it's like closed beta at the moment so i can tell you that a lot of people are waiting for it and it will be super excited once it's out nice so you like two weeks from today yeah hopefully like that's that <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's see right Let, let's see no it'll be great everybody when when you're providing when you have customers and they want something and and you're working on it they're they're super happy like if it takes two more weeks i mean look at the people to bring it back to elon musk who like ordered the model 2020 roadster and it's like still not well, out when when you do something which is truly hard and you know it, it is simply like how can i say it? like it, it is it is hard to do then you just automatically like get the user trust and I don't know, like, they know that once workflows are going to be, their troubleshooting is going to look like completely different than how it looked till today. So another week or two, like are not really going to change to change it. I like that you mentioned that. So you're a founder. Um, you mentioned about like doing hard things, which I love doing. I'm always going through this cycle of uh, I hit a comfort zone, I hit a plateau, and then I have to pick like new things. And then there's that time that like six to 12 months where you're getting used to the new thing. And then you have to realize you're in it again. 
Um, what sort of difficult things are you doing now or have you done recently? In terms of like... Like your personal life, like growing yourself as a human. You know, like building a startup. <laughs> yeah. We, we grow much faster than we anticipated because the market response was so like positive. So we are now 35 people, I think, in one and a half year. And it is hard like, and challenging building the R&D organization, building the product team, having customers, having customers complain, having customers happy. Like it is like, a, you know, it's, it, it is very like challenging. Uh, and at the same time, I became a father like two months into the startup. So yeah, every and the COVID. So yeah, it was like a hell of a ride so far. Uh, but uh, you know, I enjoy it. Like it's much better than everything else I, I've done. Uh, so I'm quite, I'm quite pleased. That's exciting. Do you have a boy or a girl? I have a girl. Ella. Oh, dude, that's awesome. No, I, I have a girl, Aria. Dude, it's the best. Um, yeah, that's super exciting. I feel like connected to you because when I started this whole podcast journey four years ago, mm-hmm. I started it the same month that my daughter was born. And I was like, it's so hard because <laughs> you don't have steady income coming in, like had savings and stuff, but to be putting cash out and to start something new right when you have like the first, my first child coming in, you have to take care of them. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, uh, leap to take. Mm-hmm. No, no. Like I, I'm completely, I, I completely agree. Uh, so yeah, that was quite challenging and, and interesting, basically. So what's the what's the sales process like? Do people just call you up and say, "We heard this through our friends. It's awesome. We need it now." Or how does it go? I don't know. Some people, yeah, like it's super awesome. <laughs> Give it to me now. We do a lot of content. We try publish a lot of like helping materials. How to troubleshoot issues in Kubernetes, container is restarting, your node is not healthy. Like real beneficial like stuff. It's you know, it is marketing, uh, but it's not like Commodore specific. It's how do I operate Kubernetes? And I will say like the cool thing about Commodore or the space is like Kubernetes becoming the facto standard in like the new Linux. Everyone is going to Kubernetes and they don't really understand how much Kubernetes is like complex. And when they do understand it, it's too late a lot of the time because uh, they are like in day two operation, trying to run everything and make sure everything works as expected. Uh, so I would say that, that, you know, as we publish ourselves, it's not a question like, is troubleshooting in Kubernetes difficult? It is difficult. No one thinks otherwise. It's a question of uh, the org maturity, the specific problems and work in Commodore fit in. Like, it's not everyone we meet just want to use Commodore out of the box. Even it happens quite a lot. Uh, but everyone is suffering, which is like bad for like the universe, but quite nice for a company that tries to help make their life easier. Because no one is telling us, oh no, like I have no issue. No, like troubleshooting, it's easy. Like no one is yeah. saying. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have competitors in this space yet? Or are you guys still super early? Not, no, not like no real competitors in, in the space. I would say that like the, the biggest competitor is how much value can we bring on top of their existing monitoring stack? Because I don't try to replace Datadog or like any other tools. We integrate with those tools. So this is like the biggest like obstacle we have or like, uh, but 
in the end of the day, and we see it more and more, Datadog is a really great product. We use it internally to understand that you have a problem. Uh, but once you have a problem, Datadog doesn't really tell you like the full story of why are you having the issues that you are having. And luckily for us, you know, we helped to solve uh, that exact like problem. Like, why are you seeing what you are seeing? Why is your service not healthy? Uh, but I will say like, this is the biggest obstacle uh, that we're facing. And we're, we're, we are like overcoming it quite good. Like most of our customers, if not all of them, are using Datadog, New Relic, AppDynamic, you name it, like they are using. But still things are hard. As your company is growing quickly and expanding, um, you as a founder and your partner, like what are you learning? Like what's one of the things that keeps coming up that like over and over that you've learned uh, as during this expansion and growth period? Um, what have we learned during this? It's a good question. I'm trying to think like what's the, the number one thing that we There's learned? a billion things. Whatever pops in your mind is fine. No, oh, it's a good question. Like, what's a, um, I don't know, like move fast, listen to your customer and move fast. I think like that, that's pretty much it. And, and hire good people. Like that's the most important thing. Like, I don't believe that we can move so fast without a very strong team that, you know, are, are with us. And that might be sales, it might be marketing, it's R&D, it's product. Like, Surround yourself with people that are much more talented than you, than you are. Um, so I think, like, yeah, that, that that's the that's the gist of things. Yes, I love that surrounding yourself with good people. I was having a conversation earlier today, and they were asking me like how I how do I stay up to date with like industry stuff. And I was like, well, other than having hundreds of people come through the podcast that are experts in their field and telling me, they they were saying, you know, do you do you read industry? trade publications? Do you have like a favorite blogger that you follow? And I, I said, no, I really just have like some really great people around me and they sort of act as like a filter. And so they're out there learning and then I'm engaging with them. And so I'm sort of getting this knowledge from from my group because the most important things tend to like propagate or like bubble up. Like, you know, like I, I think that that's the key. That's the key here. So have you gotten uh, to like hire any of like the authors that you've read or anything like that? Not yet. It can be great, but not yet. We had a webinar with uh, Costis from Codefresh. Not sure if you know him. Like I read a lot of the blog pieces he wrote. He's an amazing writer. He writes about CICD mainly, Kubernetes, everything. And he wrote a piece about Commodore, which was amazing because he's so into details and to see him write about Commodore and being excited about Commodore, it was really, really good. Like I read a lot of what he wrote about like other tools during the years. Uh, so it was quite, uh, quite nice. Nice. Yeah. I think it's so cool to get to when I first started going out and being like less introverted to conferences, getting to meet like authors of books that I enjoyed. And then, you know, figuring out that they often do consulting and you can actually work with them. I was like, this is uh, something I did not know. And I thought it was very valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, culture. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about culture for a minute? Yeah, we can. Yeah. So obviously, culture is something that a lot of people talk about. Um, it's hard and it's difficult, especially when like rapidly expanding. Do you like set time aside with your founder to talk about it? Do you just 
in the process of moving fast, that's just the culture right now. Move fast, or how do you think about culture? We are talking. We are t- talking about it. it you, <clears throat> like currently, we see it mainly on what kind of people we want to hire. Will this person is the right fit for the current culture? Like, he's, he has like excellent skills. He's uh, like a nice person. I will enjoy working with. Can he move fast? Will he break under pressure? Like we are a startup. We know we need like people that are not afraid of taking chances that can take the, the leaps, you know, like building something from scratch. No one ever, ever seen. So I think it, it, it goes down to, should we hire this and this like person? Those are the biggest impact on your culture. And like, luckily for us, like me or Ben were involved in all of the hires, I think like 100% of the hires, me or Ben were, were there. So this is where you can, you know, make sure the culture stays good. Like in the end of the day, going forward, we can't hire everyone, right? Uh, and we want to be part of the process, but I hope we brought enough people that understand us and the culture uh, to make sure it works. Yes, I tend to like. I have several friends that run uh, technology companies that are from Israel, and mm-hmm. I always enjoy having them on the show. Like, there's a Travel Bank is one is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Their company got really big, uh, and then of course Rookout and a couple others. But one of the things I I enjoy a whole lot when I get to work with entrepreneurs from Israel is that they're very direct, and it's so yeah. easy to interact with them. And then that uh, that goes in their culture too. We are really direct as well. So yeah, <laughs> like that, that's not, a, that's not an issue. <laughs> uh, have, yeah. you dis- have you um, just made a decision between like hiring remote or in person or hybrid? How have you guys been thinking about that? So far, like everyone in the company works like uh, inside the company. We don't have remote workers. Like, I guess it will happen. I'm not really against it. But if we can somehow hire everyone and have them in the same room, I do believe it is very powerful for a small startup. So we're not like 100% against it, but we do prefer like people who can come to the office and meet everyone. So, so far, like we were lucky enough to find good people that matches those criteria. I'm not a fan of talking about COVID, but I am curious, like in your town where you are, because you're in Israel, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in your town, like, are are people going to the office? Are they going to work? What's it like? Yeah, like in Israel, like we are vaccinated. Uh, like luckily for, for me. And, you know, like like everyone is acting quite normally. That's cool. So that way you're in person office, like it works. It's yeah, not like- yeah. Yeah. Like, like most of them, you know, we, we have like uh, people who can't come because they were abroad or they, they are like home. How do you say it? Like when you are first quarantine? Yeah, quarantine. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, uh, but other than that, yeah, we don't feel it too much. Like, luckily for me, for us, I've got some. Uh, I've got some leadership questions. If you're cool with that, no, I, I can try. Right? Like, yeah, I can <laughs> we could try. Uh, these are just random questions people have written in and asked. Uh, how hard is it for leaders to ask for help? Like ask from from who from like people in the company from outside yeah. her. I don't know. Like, but like I don't have the ego. Like I don't really 
I, we know both me and Ben, we do feel comfortable like asking help from someone from within the team. Like, sure, that's why we hire the team of like great people. So very comfortable. I think that, you know, like understanding that we can use other people that had like those kind of experience is something that we had from the get-go, but we didn't really, at least I didn't really realize how important it is to have like very good advisor that you talk with like on a weekly or like bi-weekly basis. It's not that I feel like discomfortable, but I didn't really realize how helpful it can be. And once like having those conversation, it is really like, it, it was really something that helped me. Yes. Having, I have found, I'm typically a personality that's like very independent, oh, but <laughs> I have found that getting perspective from someone else who's like independent, who I respect and trust, getting their perspective on my situation is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Next, we got another one here. Um, if you could design the perfect leadership training program for your direct reports, mm-hmm. what is the most important thing that'd be in it? Mm-hmm. Communication, like that, that, that's the key to everything, specifically with working remote and, you know, like open communication and like transparency, I think it can solve like most issues or most problems. And every time we see that we like had an issue, it is usually related to miscommunication. Like Bob said, like said this, and and Henry heard that, and that uh, caused an explosion or something like that. It is usually <laughs> problems with communication. We don't have Bob and or Henry. I was looking at your um, your background. I didn't notice it says this week on showing off R and D. What's what's that yeah. about? <laughs> It's a background that was created like personally by our designer, like lead designer Maya. We had like a showcase of like cool things we done in the R and D. So everyone like showed what he done over the last couple of weeks. It was a super like fun activity to brag and to show what you were working on. Uh, and yeah, like behind me there is like a tea because I really like tea. So she designed it specifically like for each one of the team members. It was a couple of months ago, I think. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like loose leaf tea as well. Huh? Um, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, right when I saw that, I was like, oh, I've got a couple of those at home. <laughs> um, communication, we were talking a little bit about it. I like what you said, transparency. A lot of issues can be solved you know, through good communication. How do you teach it though? Is it yeah, teachable? So, I'm not sure. I think like some part of it obviously uh, but it is hard you you said i can like do the perfect uh, training so i don't know we need to figure it out what's the best way like to improve communication but you know i read like a couple of books i talked with people like radical condor is very interesting in terms of what's i the love best that way. book Kim yes, Scott. You know, so you know it is very uh, it's not easy to implement but it has like what's the best practices or how how to do it so it, it is teachable, but you need to sp- to pay like special attention to to make sure it really works. Um, so yeah, yeah. Some things require like really tight experience cycles. Like learn yeah. just a very little bit, go try it out, so it becomes personal to you. That's why I like when Kim did her book. She did. I think like the first 60 or 80% of the book was like story or explanation. And then in the back of the book, she had a bunch of like exercises or very applicable things. No, no, it, it, it's, a, it's a great book, right? It is, it is a great book. 
Uh, what's the most impactful leadership lesson that you've learned ever, not just at this company in your entire career? Like I had a really good boss on my like previous, previous job, like Oren Ellenbogen, which is an amazing VPR and D. And I learned a lot from him. Like in, in the end of the day, it's like making sure like the high level of, of it all is making sure like that the organization goal and uh, employee motivation are really aligned and that he can see why when he's doing well, the organization is doing well and vice versa. And making sure that those two tracks are aligned is like the key to a happy and successful like employees, the, the motivation of the, the, the motivation alignment. And I think it is a very like valuable lesson that I learned. In real time, I didn't really talk like um, thought about it because you know I was an employee. It just makes sense to me that if I'm going to be good, then the organization is going to see it and it's going to be good for me, good for my company, and so on. But making sure every organi- every employee in the organization understand why, if he's going to be good, he's going to like improve himself and organization at the same time. It is really, really like a key, a key thing to make sure like everyone are aligned on. Not sure if it will, if it made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say you, uh, you used to work with Oren? Yeah. Did, did you also interview? Oren? No, I, well, I have not interviewed him yet, but I should, it just reminded me. I mean, he did the snowflakes book and then he does the newsletter, the software lead newsletter, yeah, right? In, in, indeed. This is like, this is Oren. Yeah. Dude, that's so cool that you got to work with him. Yeah, yeah. Oren is is amazing, and I, I I completely agree. It is very cool that I got to work with him. Yeah, you know, uh, he does some like consulting stuff on culture and leadership training. Yeah, um, yeah. I have a meeting yeah. with him this Sunday. Uh, there you, you go, man. Uh, I'm gonna wrap up with this question. Uh, you've got engineers. You've got 35 people plus. You're growing really quickly. Uh, what's a piece of advice that you would give to an engineer? that is looking to take on more management responsibilities? I think it's a question of, you know, first of all, finding someone you can learn from. It can be inside the company, but maybe outside the company. Because without proper guidance, I think it is very, very challenging. So I think like that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, you don't, don't panic. I think in the... And we talked about like radical condor, but I also really like the manager part, the, the making of a manager, sorry, sorry, which is like a novice books, like the best novice book about management that I read uh, by Julia Zaho. I must have mispronounced it. It's okay. I mispronounce everything. But this book is, is great. And she talks about everything and it's very well written. So, you know, reading like materials and getting help. I think that's that's like my best advice. Yeah, I love it. I like that we have have found that, you know, similar content. Like, you know, I know the manager's path. I've just learning about making of a manager, but I knew about uh, Radical Candor and then Rands and Repose. Um, Michael Lopp, he writes some really great stuff too. No, no, like books are great. Managing humans is also amazing if you yeah. read it. Like, uh, so yeah, like you have to practice it, right? Like, or you have to have someone to give you the feedback. I like it's really hard just reading books and then becoming a, a great manager. Maybe if you are, you know, like naturally talented, uh, but if not, find someone who can like help you. All right, dude, I love it. I think that's great advice. 
Was there anything that we left out that we want to make sure to get out there? Like, can people download like a free demo? Are you're hiring? Uh, Do you like have like a hiring page? I think like in the end of the day, if you're in Israel and you like Kubernetes, come work for us and you can find it quite easily. And if you're running Kubernetes, but feel like it is much harder than you think, also ping us. Like, uh, I think like that's the main, the, the two main like important things. And if you want like good management advice, feel free to ask me, but also read or in like a newsletter and read the books because they are amazing. I love it. And can you tell me what the website is for your product? Condor.com, basically. Excellent. So it's K-O-M-O-D-O-R.com. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.